Lynn Hiles Ministries presents Dr. Lynn Hiles That You Might Have Life. And here's your host, Dr. Lynn Hiles. Which are alive and remain under the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. So Paul, I mean, not Paul, but Jesus, or, yes, it is Paul. Paul is quoting Jesus. He's saying, this we say to you by the Lord's own words that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. Well, the Lord's own words are in Matthew 16, 27 and 28, for the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will pay every man according to his deeds. Truly I say unto you, there are some standing here who shall not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. So he tells them, there's some of you standing here that aren't going to taste death. So the Lord's own words is, we're not all going to sleep. We are going to be changed, and it's going to occur within that generation. And, uh, you know, uh, let, let me go and finish this, and then, then I'll, I'll explain it more in detail. But we're not going to proceed or prevent them. But by the Lord's own words, we're not all going to sleep. They were sleeping up until then. One of the other things I want to say to you is that Jesus uh, would look at John, and he would say to the people standing around, what will you if John tarries? till I come. Uh, in the way I'm teaching this, John did tarry till he came. He also looks at Caiaphas when he is in the judgment hall, and he says to Caiaphas, uh, you will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. We spent one whole program on just nothing but scriptures that showed that Jesus and his perusia or his coming would occur in that first century, and it had to be within that 40 year and literally in the last day. That there had to be a resurrection that occurred where folks would no longer sleep, but they would be changed. Now, he goes on to say, verse 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, and with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now, you remember, I laid this out in prior segments that the Lord himself did descend from heaven. He was the mighty angel of Revelation chapter 10, whose voice was like a lion. He was the chief messenger and he came in the trump of God because when the seventh trumpet shall begin to sound, the mystery of God will be finished. Hallelujah. Now, uh, you know, when Paul writes in Corinthians, he says, behold, I'm going to show you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will be changed. These mysteries are not meant to be mysteries forever. They were meant to come to a conclusion. And so during the period of this time when the trump of God, if the trump of God in, the, in, 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 in 1 Thessalonians 4, the seventh trumpet of Revelation chapter 11, and the last trump of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, I submit to you, are the same trumpet. They are the last trump. The dead in Christ are rising. And many of them who have fallen asleep in Christ for this 40 year period are now being raised to life where they are no longer asleep. And then he goes on to say, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the chief messenger and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we notice again the personal pronouns all through this, Paul's including himself. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds 
to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So wherefore comfort one another with these words. These words were meant to give some comfort to people who were losing their loved ones in the arenas and people who are falling asleep even during this transition time. And he goes on to say that we, the dead in Christ, there's going to be a trumpet sound. In Revelation, the 11th chapter, immediately on the heels of the temple being destroyed, the last trumpet sounds and the time of the dead that they should be judged and that reward should be given to the martyrs of the Lord Jesus Christ and to them that are slept have now come on the scene. What I submit to you is that what occurred there is some kind of a resurrection. Now, before you quit me, I'm not saying that there's not yet a future resurrection because I believe the 20th chapter of the book of Revelation talks about a first resurrection and them that have part in that resurrection, but the rest of the dead live not again till the thousand years were finished. So I submit to you that there is still very possibly, at least this is my opinion at this point, a resurrection that will occur at the end of the millennial kingdom. Now, let me say before I, I, I get clear over there, and there's too much to unpack there, that to me, the thousand year reign of Christ is not a literal number. It would be like, again, everything in the book of Revelation is highly symbolic. It would be like him saying in the book of Psalms, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That doesn't mean he doesn't own the cattle on a thousand one hills. It is a, is a Greek idiom that means a long period of time. I submit to you that the millennial reign of Christ was inaugurated right here at the coming of the Lord in 70 AD and that we have been living in the millennium for some time that we should have been ruling and reigning with Christ for this thousand year period. We should be kings and priests under our God right now, ruling and reigning from the earth. The whole fact, you say, well, well I thought everything was going to be a hunky-dory after that. Well, you know, even when you read Revelation chapter 21, the leaves of the trees are for the healing of the nation. So somebody must still need healing. You also see outside the city where dogs and whoremongers and whoever loveth and maketh a lie. So there must still be some people outside the city. Revelation 22 concludes by saying, let him that's thirsty say come. And the spirit and the bride say come. God is always saying come. So uh, what I see is something that is inaugurated and something that is birthed. And there's an ongoing increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end. For his name shall be called the Wonderful, the Counselor, the Mighty God, the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. It is an ever-increasing kingdom. Daniel chapter 2 said, The rock cut out of the mountains without hands, which is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ, would smite this mountain of Rome and would destroy it, and that literally it would go into little pieces, and that this great mountain would fill the whole earth. The end of the story is the kingdom of God fills the earth, and the glory of the Lord covers the earth like the water covers the sea. What I'm simply telling you is it does not have to get better. It is des I mean, it does not have to get worse. Our worldviews are, are shaped by how we see eschatology. But our worldview has changed to a very optimistic end-time view because I don't believe it's going to get worse. I believe it already is getting better. But I also believe that if we get the church to see the purpose of the church and the purpose of their calling and the purpose of their destiny, it would once again give them purpose and it would give them a hope to continue to see the kingdom of God uh, continue to increase on the earth like a woman that had leaven that hid in, in three measures of meal until the whole thing was infected. As truly as I live, saith God, all the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the... The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The earth and all they that dwell therein, Psalm 2 says.
For he's founded upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend to the hill of God but he that hath clean hands and a pure heart who has not lifted up his soul unto vanity nor sworn deceitfully. This is the generation of them that seek your face, O Jacob, that seek your face, O God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Be ye lifted up, ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? He's the Lord strong and mighty, and battle is his name. Why do the heathen rage? The people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands. But he that setteth in the heavens shall laugh. He shall have them in derision. For yet have I set my king upon my holy hill. Declare the decree, you are my son. Today have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I will give you the heathen for your inheritance and the uttermost part of the earth for your possession. Kiss the son lest he be angry. I'm telling you, that's a powerful prophecy. Hallelujah. Where, you know, you can do what you want to, but I'm going to ask the Lord for the heathen as an inheritance. It belongs to Mr. and Mrs. Jesus Christ. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What I submit to you is occurring here is that he is telling these people that up until this time period, we, that, 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 that while saints from old covenant until now were falling asleep, Paul stops and says, I want to show you a mystery. We are not all going to sleep, but we're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at that last trumpet. And he goes on to say here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout. This word shout here is the Greek word kaluzma, and it means a cry of incitement, a call of war, a command of battle. Uh, in the writings of Josephus, uh, let me see if I can find this very quickly in some of my notes. Uh, in, in the writings of Josephus, uh, you know, when he utters his voice before his army, the armies of heaven follow him on white horses, and there's a war that ensues. Uh, let me just read this to you literally. This was literal fulfillment. This was in uh, the writings of Josephus, and, and I'm going to begin reading. He says, Thus were the miserable people persuaded by these deceivers. And such as belied God himself, while they did not attend nor give credit to the signs that were so evident and did so plainly foretell their future desolation. But like men infatuated with either eyes to see or minds to consider, did not regard the denunciations that God made to them. Thus there was a star resembling a sword, which stood over the city and a comet that continued for a whole year. Thus also before the Jews' rebellion and before those commotions which preceded the war, when the people were come into great crowds to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, that on the eighth day of the month of Nisan, and at the ninth hour of the night, so great a light shone round about the altar and the holy house, that it appeared to be bright day, it appeared to be bright daytime, which lasted for half an hour. This light seemed to be a good sign to the unskillful but was so interpreted, by, so interpreted by the sacred scribes as to pretend those events that followed immediately upon it at the same festival also a heifer, as she was led by the high priest to be sacrificed, brought forth a lamb in the midst of the temple. Now these are historical writings of the writings of Josephus, of stuff that occurred during that last three and a half period of the desolation of this temple. Moreover, the eastern gate of the inner court of the temple, which was of brass and vastly heavy, had been with difficulty shut by 20 men and rested upon a basis armed with iron, had bolts fastened very deep into the firm floor, which there made of one entire stone was seen to be opened of its own accord about the sixth hour of the night. 
Now those that kept watch in the temple came hereupon, running to the captain of the temple, and told him of it, who then came up hither, and not without great difficulty was able to shut the gate again. This also appeared to the vulgar to be very happily, or to be a very happy prodigy, as if God did thereby open them the gate of happiness. But the men of learning understood it, that the security of their holy house was dissolved of its own accord, and the gate was open for the advantage of their enemies. So these publicly declared that the signal foreshadowed the desolation that was coming upon them. Besides these, a few days after the feast, on the one and twentieth day of the month of Jair, a certain prodigious and incredible phenomenon appeared. I suppose the account of it would seem to be a fable, were it not related by those that saw it, and were not the events that followed it of so considerable a nature as to deserve such signals. For before sunsetting, watch this, before sunsetting, chariots and troops and soldiers in their armor were seen running among the clouds and surrounding the cities. Now they were seen in the clouds of heaven, armies moving about, and chariots and troops and soldiers running about among the clouds and surrounding the cities. Moreover, at the feast which we call Pentecost, as the priests were going by night into the inner court of the temple, as their custom was, to perform their sacred ministration, they said that in the first place they felt a quaking and heard a great voice, and after they heard a sound of a great multitude saying, Let us remove hence. God was departing, and the souls that were under the altar were going with Him. There was a meeting in the air. I, I tell you, I feel the Holy Ghost. There was, there was a, an appearing in the clouds of the armies of heaven. There was a meeting, all right, hallelujah, in the air. And there was a, I mean, even literal fulfillment of many of the things that we thought were way out in our future. But what Paul is saying, even here in 1 Thessalonians, is that we which are alive and remain will be caught up to meet with them in the, in the clouds, to meet them in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words, was to give comforting words to these people who are losing their loved ones who were then falling asleep. But Paul's saying, we're not all going to sleep, but we're going to be changed. Now, what he goes on to say is, after this occurs, that doesn't mean the rest of us who are alive and remain don't have anything to look forward to. What he's simply saying is, those of us who are alive and remain, and the key word here is remain, are going to be caught up with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Now, what's interesting to me is that the Lord descends from heaven with a shout. The word heaven is the Greek word oranos, but this word for air is a completely different word. It is the word A-E-R-I, and it literally means, here's what the word air means. It means to breathe unconsciously, to respire, literally to blow air or to, to exhale. I, let me just put it like this. I could make it as simple as I know how to. What Paul is saying is, then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord. If I, it could literally be translated like this. We could be we're caught up to meet the Lord when we take our last breath. Because if the word air here means to breathe or expire air, what he's simply saying is, no longer from this moment on are we going to sleep like old covenant saints slept. But the moment you take your last breath, you're going to immediately meet them in the clouds, in the air. I think it could also fit with Hebrews 12, seeing then we are encompassed with a great cloud 
of witnesses. We say this among our group all the time when someone passes away. We say they join the great cloud of witnesses. And the reason we can say that is because no longer do we sleep. We're changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Now, this to me makes a lot of sense. Just, just listen to what I'm saying. I have been to so many funerals, and when we go to the funeral, the preacher will say, Mom went home to be with the Lord, to which I say a hearty amen, and I agree that the loved one passed and went home to be with the Lord. And then in a few moments, he's going to say, but at that great getting up moment, Mom is going to rise and be with the Lord. And then we go out to the grave and we throw dust in on the coffin and we say ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and we start talking about a great getting up morning. Now, let me say to you, first of all, what happens to me when I hear preaching like that is, okay, now wait a minute. Either mom went home to be with the Lord, mom is in the grave, or mom is dust. Now, let me say to you that if you're going to look at it in terms of how they're trying to preach it, one of these days mom's going to get up, that means none of our loved ones are right now in the presence of God. What Paul is telling us is they're not sleeping anymore. No, let, let me say this to you. There has not been a believer that has died in 2,000 years. When, when, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, he said, yes, the hour is coming, but it now is. When uh, they that are hit, dead will hear the voice of the Son of Man will live and they'll come forth. And he tells them that will happen not in the last days, but in the last day. So this biblical last days was from 30 AD to 70 AD. And the last day would be the end of 70 AD. And there was a resurrection that occurred. And then he said, he that lives and believeth in me will never die. It is in the new covenant. See that Jesus brings life and immortality to light. Hallelujah. In other words, they didn't have an understanding how immortality and light life worked until Jesus came on the scene. He also says in the scriptures, who hath abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So what the gospel says is that we no longer, even though we, our outward man may perish, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. And so you may say, well, uh, you know, uh, how does that fit, you know, with, uh, uh, you know, how does that fit with 1 Corinthians chapter number 15? Well, it fits perfectly, actually, because in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, uh, it, it deals with the whole idea. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We will not all sleep again, but we shall be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump. For the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible. And we shall be changed. And he shall send his angels the great sound of a trumpet. And chapter 24, verse 31 of Matthew says, He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Matthew 24, verse 29 through 34 says, Immediately after the tribulation of those days, same time slot, shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man, in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the land, of the tribes of the earth, mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree, when its branches yet tender, it sends forth uh, its leaves, and you know that summer is nigh. Likewise, when you see all these things, know that it is near even at the door. Verse 34, verily I say to you, this generation will not pass till this be fulfilled. All of this stuff, according to Jesus' own words, had to be fulfilled in 70 AD. And Paul was quoting him. He said, this we say to you by the Lord's own words. That's the fulfillment of it. 
Uh, and so all of that stuff happened uh, during that period of time so that when I see in the 11th chapter of Revelation, the last trumpet sounds and all of a sudden the dead are raised and they're raised incorruptible and the time of the dead that they should be judged is uh, uh, now uh, already underway. Now let me uh, say to you that again that uh, we, we, I, I won't go into all these scriptures, but 1 Corinthians 15, it says, here's the deal with us. We start to say, well, you know, uh, if the dead are raised, where are they at? With what kind of a body do they come? See, that's what Paul was asking in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. He's saying, how are the dead raised and with what kind of a body do they come? And so Paul goes on to tell them that uh, what is sown is not what is raised. Hallelujah. He goes on to say to them, uh, let, let, let me see. Uh, he said, but, but some man will say, verse 35, how are the dead raised and with what body do they come? So thou fool that which thou sowest is not quickly accepted die, and that which thou sowest, thou sowest not the body that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or some other grain. But God gives it the bodies that has pleased him to ever seed his own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beast, of fish, and another of birds. There are celestial bodies and there are terrestrial bodies, but the glory of the terrestrial is one and the glory of the celestial is another. There's one glory of the sun, moon, and the stars. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. So it is written, the first man, Adam, was a living soul. The last was a quickening spirit. Let me skip down to verse 51. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up of victory. O death, where is thy sting? And O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God which gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. Now let me tell you that what Paul was saying here is there are differing kinds of bodies. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. I don't know about you, but I don't want the same decrepit body on the other side of the grave as I have on this side of the grave. Now there's so much that could be said here, but I am simply saying to you that the moment you take your last breath, that outer shell drops and you have a building of God eternal in the heavens and that the real you is not your external corruptible man, but immortality is already working inside of you. And God has already, for those of you who have been born again, you've already got eternal life working in your spirit. You've already received eternal life and you simply pass from death unto life. Uh, it makes sense to me. Let me just say this to you. If you've ever been around somebody, let me slow down because if we, if we need to, we can cut this into three segments. But if you've ever been around anybody that was dying or passing off the scene, and in their final moments when they are transitioning from this side to the other side, almost never do they start talking to people on this side. They start talking to their loved ones from the other side. They'll see their mother, their father, their grandfather, They'll see Jesus. They'll see somebody. 
What I'm saying to you is, the moment you take your last breath, there is a welcome meeting with the Lord at that very moment. So some of you that have got loved ones right now, I want to encourage you with these words that we will not all sleep, but we will be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And from the time that that resurrection occurred, there has been an ongoing ability to step from this life into the next life and be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. And you could literally translate as being closing the eyes. The one moment you're here and the next minute you're there. The way into the heavens was made. It's now available. Immortality uh, is swallowing up mortality. Death is being swallowed up of life. And he connects this thought even with the sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. So if the law was then taken out of the picture, then what I believe happens is that there's no longer anything that keeps us bound to death because it's called a covenant of death. It was called your covenant with death will not stand. So when he redeemed us from the curse of the law, that's not somewhere out in our future some 2,000 years later. My dad is not laying in the grave waiting on Jesus one of these days to raise his physical body. I believe he's already in the presence of God rejoicing. He stands in the balconies of glory. And uh, you, you say, well, uh, you know, Brother Howes, you know, uh, uh, you know, that just sounds to me like it's too good to be true. And, you know, it almost seems like there's no proof. And, and uh, you know, if they're raised, where are they at? But I could say this, you know, even uh, when Jesus, after his resurrection, got up from the dead, the Bible said that when he got up from the dead, many that slept in the graves arose and went into the city and were seen. They were seen in the city of Jerusalem. My question is, he raised them from the dead. Where are they at? They're certainly not walking around here somewhere. They're in the heavens. Where I believe the heavens is very far away. But they, but they were bodily raised from the dead. Jesus was bodily raised from the dead. I believe there is a spiritual body and there is a natural body. And I believe that spiritual body and that body of immortality is given to you the moment you take your last breath because you're caught up to meet the Lord in the air. I believe the only resurrection that is left is for the future of unbelievers because the rest of the dead do not live again to the thousand years are finished. And the reason they don't live again is because they do not have eternal or aeonian life living in their spirit. And so the moment they take their last breath, they literally uh, pass into uh, uh, the, moment, uh, the moment they take their last breath, they're not alive. So they are waiting on a future judgment. I believe that's probably the only part of the book of Revelation that may be future. And the reason I say that is because, uh, uh, is be is because uh, the re reason I say that it's future is because I think the scripture gives us the legitimate reason to say that because he says after the thousand years were finished, the rest of the dead live not again. And so I'm not saying that there's not yet a future resurrection for those and that there's an ongoing, but for believers, he said, he that lives and believes in me will never die. I, I believe that immortality, life, he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Uh, I trust this has blessed your heart. Uh, we bless you. Take a moment to write that number on the screen and sow into the ministry if it's possible. And we'll thank you for it. God bless you is our prayer.